This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. On the show, you'll hear from leading Australian business owners as they share the lessons they've learned building their companies. You'll learn from their successes, as well as some of the challenges they faced along the way. We also talk to experts from a range of fields who share specialised techniques you can use to improve your business. I'm your host, Savan Tuna, and I'm a director at Alexander Spencer, and I'm really passionate about helping Australian businesses succeed. Today, we're speaking with Ravine Krishnan, the Regional Director of Abacus Worldwide, a membership-based organisation that connects accountants and lawyers across the world. In the episode, we discuss how a business development manager can foster relationships to create new opportunities and long-lasting connections. You'll learn what a business development manager does, how you should compose yourself when having face-to-face interaction with clients, and how you can implement techniques to identify new business opportunities. Let's jump in. Ravine, it's a pleasure to have you on the bottom line today. Well, thanks so much for having me, Savan. I'm really excited to be on this episode as well. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself, your professional background, and yeah, let us get to know you a little bit personally. Well, it's been a sort of quite an interesting journey in terms of getting to where I am at the moment. So, Savan, you know I come from a legal background, and like a lot of law graduates fresh out of law school, we don't really know what we're going to do with the rest of our lives. So I came up from law school, wasn't sure what I was going to do, came across a job opportunity to work as a writer in a travel and lifestyle magazine. And then just all seriousness aside, it's quite a fun job to do when you just graduate, actually, as a travel and lifestyle magazine writer. So I did that for about two years. But while I was with the magazine, because it was such a small establishment, I ended up working quite a bit in the sales and marketing side as well. So, you know, dealing with advertisers, dealing with the people that we used to write articles with and all that kind of stuff. I then went to a civil litigation firm. I worked as a legal executive there, you know, doing personal injury cases and all that kind of stuff. And then eventually I took the step up and moved into business development, communications and marketing for two law firms here in Malaysia, both regional and sort of like global presence as well. And the sort of common trait that I realized is that in every role that I did, I had to deal with people. I had to deal with clients. I had to deal with managing expectations and finding ways that I could make them happy and retain them as clients of whether it was advertisers for a magazine. And especially when you work in a civil litigation firm, believe me, you get a lot of irate clients and stuff like that. So it was learning those sort of people skills and stuff like that. So about June last year, I came across the opportunity to work with Abacus and that's where I took the leap and joined Abacus as well. So that's sort of been my journey so far. Like there's a lyric from a song by George Harrison, which I quite like a bit. I think it was on his last album, actually. It says, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. And that's pretty much sort of how my sort of career part has been. So, yeah. You are the regional director for Asia Pacific for Abacus Worldwide. It's a very impressive title, I have to say. So can you please just tell us a little bit about your role at Abacus? My role specifically at Abacus, maybe I can just explain a little bit about what Abacus is all about as well. So Abacus Worldwide is an international association consisting of independently owned and managed accounting and legal firms across the globe as well. It was founded in 2012. And so this is actually our 10th year anniversary, which we're all quite excited about. 
our objective was to basically work with progressive and dynamic firms to help them to grow and develop by connecting them to like-minded, non-competitive firms in other jurisdictions as well. Because what we realized is that a lot of these firms want to do international business. They want to connect with international clients, but they struggle to do so because it's quite a challenge to do these kind of things. So that's our sort of objective. At the moment, we have about 110 members across 50 countries. We have, that consists of about 4,000 professionals across 200 offices. So we're growing as well in various regions. You know, we have people looking after specific regions such as you know, North America, Latin America, Europe, Africa, Asia, Pacific, like myself as well. So my role specifically is to look after the Asia Pacific members to see how we can actually help them engage a little bit better with the various members in Asia Pacific, as well as the members abroad and bring a little bit more value to them. And I suppose what kind of differentiates Abacus in terms of a lot of other professional associations, we are not just one single disciplinary. We are a combination of accounting and legal. And that synergy is something that is very useful. That's something that in my previous experience as well, I've realized that there is a great amount of work that can actually be derived from that. So what we try to do is create a holistic point of source that actually clients can actually reach out to, clients can actually have support in, in terms of when they reach out to a different country and all that. So that's what Abacus is all about. And so in terms of the role as an Asia-Pacific regional director, and we have regional directors for each of our key regions, it's about helping our members connect with other members. It's about you know, just sitting down and having a chat, discussing with them in terms of what their objectives are, what they are trying to achieve this year, and then seeing if there are ways that we can actually kind of assist them in those kind of stuff. So it's very bespoke, it's very tailored to each particular firm. A firm, for example, in Bangladesh would have very different expectations for a firm like yourself. It's something that we tailor a program for each particular firm and then we try and develop that. I am proud to say that Alexander Spencer is an Abacus Worldwide member. And I like the fact that you've grouped us in progressive and dynamic firms. So I hope that we are progressive and dynamic. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. So today I want to talk about business development. Your, a lot of your role, especially in legal, when you were the business development and marketing side of things from the legal firms, but your role at Abacus is very client facing. I have to say, I've enjoyed working with you. And the reason I wanted you on the podcast is that you were very engaging and you looked after us so well. So I wanted to dive into that experience of yours in business development and find out if you can support our clients and give us some tips. So Firstly, what would you describe the role of business development manager to be in an organization? It's a, such a very widely defined role. It feels like every business has a business development manager on their payroll. And I'm like, do they all do the same thing? So can you tell us in your words what you believe a business development manager is? Yeah, absolutely right. I think like various organizations have a business development manager, executive or in their organization. The scope of work that a business development manager or executive does depends on the maturity of the business itself as well. So for a business that is just sort of starting out or a startup or anything like that, the role of a business development manager or an executive would be more sort of like on the hunt for new business, track new business, try and find new client bases to target new market segments. In terms of a business that is slightly more mature, in terms of a business that actually has a client base, a lot of what you do in terms of a business development management role 
is actually develop the pre-existing relationships that you have and maximize the potential of those things. Of course, it's important to be on the hunt and chase for things. I read somewhere months back, like you have people who are the hunters and you have the people who are the, you know, the cultivators. And once you reach the stage where as a firm or as a business, you are at the stage of cultivating, that's when you take the next step in terms of your development. So in terms of the role of someone who is in business development, it kind of depends at what stage your business is in. Obviously, it's important at the start to reach out to people, to have people as a sales executive sort of position to get new business, to get new market segments and all this. But at the same time, once you open that account, you need someone to manage that account. You need someone to maintain that account. You need someone to cultivate it. I always refer it to as like keeping a house plant in your house. It's nice when you first get it delivered over. But you need to cultivate it, you need to maintain it, you need to manage it, you need to water it, you need to grow that plant. It's the same thing with relationships with clients as well. And one of the things that I notice as well when I speak to a lot, because I do quite a bit of work with you know, small to medium-sized legal firms as well as small businesses here in Malaysia and all this. One of the things that people tend to overlook is the fact that when you have an existing client base, that's a client base that's, that has a potential to remain with you for a certain period of time there's a potential for you to develop a certain amount of loyalty towards your brand. And when you have developed that, that's a consistent stream of revenue that can come into your business. And that's something that you need to take a look at. In terms of the scope of what a business development professional does, it depends on at what stage the business is as well. But you need to always be looking forward as well. In terms of acquiring new business, that's very important. Pitching for new business, getting involved in proposals and all this. Yes, that's very important. But at the same time, once you get that client, how are you going to make sure that client remains with you? And that's something that when you come up with your business development strategy every year, whether it's a professional services firm or it's a business, that's something that you're going to have to take a step back and just have a little think about it as well. Ravine, one of the areas of business development, as you rightfully described, is that cultivating the plant. And in doing that, you need to provide exceptional service to your clients. What are some of the techniques you've adopted in providing that service offering? The most important thing, and even when I train more junior staff and you know, members of my team and all this, the key thing is to tell them first understand who your client is, what their industry sector is, what their nature of business is. We used to encourage our team members to set up Google alerts as well to get any sort of news that would come in and all this. Understand your client inside out and then reach out to them. And the impulse for a lot of business development managers or professionals is to impose their ideas upon a client. So they will say like, okay, we think you should do this or you should go into this area or, you know, let's do this. Let's do a joint marketing thing. What you need to do is actually take a step back and say, okay, what do you want to do? What can we work together with you on? And find a way to collaborate on those kind of things. And I've always found in my past experience that that's something that they actually appreciate because they want to realize that this isn't just a firm that is helping them in terms of their service delivery and all this, but this is also a firm that wants to listen to our input as well. So I would sit down with them and I'll be like, look, you are a valued client of ours. We want to work together with you in terms of key initiatives. Is there something that you want to work together on? And in fact, clients come back to tell me and say, look, no, we're struggling with our corporate social responsibility program. Is there something that we can work together on? And it's like, okay, let's, okay, what's your focus? And they say, you know, maybe welfare of children. And it's like, okay, let's work together on something on welfare of children. So it's always good to get to know what they want to do 
And then once you have an idea of what they want to do, then you come in with your input as well and try and improve that idea and try and grow that idea and develop into something further. And the reason why that's very important, especially at the initial stage, is you need to develop that sort of trust with them. You need to make them realize that no matter what, we've got your back. We are going to support you throughout this process. If this is one, something that you want to do, we're going to be there for you. And then once you've established that, at a later stage, you can come in and say, okay, look, I have this idea as well. Why don't we do this? And you've already built that relationship. So it's always taking baby steps in terms of developing that relationship as well. And it's the same thing when, say, for example, you're working with a stakeholder internally within your firm as well. If you want to say, look, I want to get you ranked top tier for this particular ranking, it's not going to work immediately. You have to take gradual steps. You have to say, okay, look, let's put out a few articles first. Let's do this. Let's get you in front of this group of attendees for a particular event. Let's do this event slowly. And then slowly, once they start to see results, that's when they start to believe you. That's when they start to trust you. And then once you have that, then you can start to work and collaborate on bigger things. So it's always a gradual approach to things. I do believe in a soft sell approach when it comes to marketing your ideas, especially when it comes to professional services. And as well, the same thing for you know, B2B businesses, even B2C businesses as well going a bit too heavy in terms of how you want to approach your customer base can sometimes be a bit off-putting. So sometimes, you know, take the soft approach, build that rapport slowly. And I think that's something that personally for me, I've always found works very well. And that helps develop a long-term relationship as opposed to just a short-term ad hoc project. I have to say you and I have worked solely on video and Zoom and you've done an amazing job of building that rapport. What's your view on being able to do that and the techniques that are available to you around face-to-face, Zoom, phone call? Can you give us a little bit of an idea of strategies that you place in different forums of communication? So let's start with face-to-face. What are your techniques in building that rapport and getting that engagement with your clients on a face-to-face level? On a face-to-face level, I tend to try not to make things too formal. I think that's something that I learned quite early on. I recall when I was in one of my previous firms, I think the first meeting I organized with a bunch of clients, no, I took them to this really fancy restaurant and everything was really uptight and the atmosphere and the environment just was very sterile. And like, you know, everyone was on guard and everyone was looking out for things. And so that made it very difficult. So when it comes to face to face, I think it's finding a way to make the person that you're having a discussion with comfortable. And a lot of times it's about relating your own problems or difficulties or challenges that you're facing to that particular client. So like I would sit down with a client, for example, over lunch and I'll be like, it's been difficult over the pandemic and it's been a challenge connecting with people and it's been hard to meet people. And once you find that sort of common ground where this is a challenge or obstacle that we're all facing, then there's that sort of little bit of rapport that starts to develop between that relationship. And then once you have that, then you can start to ask them, okay, what are you facing in terms of your business? What are the challenges that you are having? And then you realize that they start to open up a little bit more. If you have a sort of very formal, sterile kind of setting where you sit down and immediately go, oh, what are the challenges? They're not going to open up. But if you make them comfortable first, if you relate to them as well, saying that, look, you know, this is not something you are exclusively experiencing. This is something all of us are experiencing and we are all figuring it out together. I don't have the answers. You don't have the answers. But somehow, if we work together, we'll figure out the answer together. 
And so that's sort of how the approach I do when I come to sort of face-to-face meetings. In terms of other mediums, Zoom, in terms of virtual meetings, it does limit in terms of your mannerisms, how you approach people, even the setting and all that kind of stuff. But I do believe you can still portray the same kind of message as well. And a lot of times what I think is important, and I've been in Zoom meetings where, you know, there's just constantly people interrupting each other in discussions and stuff. Just take a step back and listen and listen to what the other person is saying. What are their issues? And listen to them in terms of what are their initiatives they're trying to do? What are the objectives they're trying to do? And people say meetings is a waste of time to do small talk. Sometimes small talk actually helps. Just that little bit of small talk, just that little bit just to put everyone's guard a little bit down, that actually kind of helps. And in virtual settings, that does help as well. And the same thing I find in emails as well, you know, don't be too aggressive in terms of this is what we're going to do, this, this, this. No, just just have a friendly greeting as well at the start. Just ask them how are things in your place. I think we might be having a very similar approach in that. I totally agree with that. I think one of the things that I do when I speak to the guys here in the office is around that formality is... I hate going to those really big corporate lunches or the corporate dinners at the football. It's just too formal. Whereas I'd prefer a very informal setting, very relaxed. And a lot of the time I'll do my BDM type of lunches or one-on-ones with my clients outside of their practice on a Friday. And the reason for that is is it's casual Friday at our office on a Friday. And when I see them on Friday, I generally am still dressed in casual and it just lowers that level of expectation. Mm -hmm. It's not so formal. And adding that trust factor about sharing your own challenges does really come in. I can vouch for that. That technique has worked for me quite a bit. I had a partner, it was a managing partner, one of the firms I was with, and he's he's a fantastic lawyer and someone who knows how to deal with people very well. And I remember we were going for like a very casual meetup with a major telco company here in Malaysia. And it was the first sort of meeting that I've been to, like a professional meeting. And I came in a suit and a tie and he was just very casually dressed. And I had a notebook and like pens. I had like three pens just in case one ran out of ink and stuff like that. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, you know, he sort of looked at me. He's like, don't bring the notebook in. We're just having a casual chat. Like the moment you bring a notebook in, they're going to think we're asking for something. So just relax. I like it. And there's something that I always carry with me as well. Like if you are going to go into a meeting and you're going to bring say five people from your firm or your business and you're going to have a notebook and you're going to have someone taking down notes and all this, they're immediately going to be on guard. So just have, like, like you were saying, like casual Fridays, that's the best time. You know, just yeah. have a casual chat. And that's actually when business is being formed and that's where connections are being made. You know, they always say, you know, connections are made on the golf course. There's a reason why it's made on the golf course because it's casual. Yeah. <laughs> What's your view on a new client? So sometimes in Australia, we love to have a beer and love to have a lunch or a breakfast out, especially in the corporate world. When you meet a client for the first time, it might be a face-to-face meeting or whatever, and you want to foster that relationship. Do you take them through a small level of journey? What would you be your steps? How would you start the engagement process? Because I have seen on one occasion where in a past life, a previous partner had met a client, first time ever, second meeting, he wanted to take this particular client out to a really fancy lunch. And it's like, it was also opposites in sex. It was a male and a female client mm-hmm. and it wasn't taken on well. She actually thought he was trying to hit on her because it was too <laughs> much. So what would you say in terms of when you're building that relationship and you do want to take him out of that office environment 
Do you have a staggered approach that you follow to build that rapport? For me, usually what I do is, especially in the, like, the first meeting and stuff, if you kind of keep it casual, I do try and see if there are certain prompts that they respond to. So for example, if I were going to an office in a particular area, say in Kuala Lumpur, and I know there's a few restaurants there or something like that, I would sort of inquire about those restaurants to see what their response would be. So I would say, oh yeah, no, I heard this place, they are a bit fancy, but they do really good food. And then to see what the person's response would be. Or I would go something a lot more casual. They would be like, oh, there's a coffee shop down the road, which actually does pretty basic stuff, but it's apparently quite a nice place. And then see what their kind of response would be to that. So a lot of times they would say like, I remember speaking to a CFO of a major company here in Malaysia. And our initial plan was to take him to a very fancy restaurant because we were thinking, oh, CFO, you know, we have to take him to a fancy restaurant. I was getting all the permission for additional funding to do this and all this. But when we got to his office, we realized right across from his office, there was a very famous uh, hawker stall, which actually sold very sort of basic food, but very tasty food. And so I just asked him about it. I was like, oh, have you tried that? He's like, yeah, I have it for lunch every day. And I was like, oh, why don't we just have that for lunch the next time I come down? So you kind of have to feel your way a little bit about that relationship. And at the same time as well, you have to be conscious about the perception that you're putting out as well. So like in the example you gave as well, you know, these are two individuals of the opposite sex in a fancy restaurant and you know it can be perceived in the wrong way as well. So Correct. you do need to take a little bit of note in terms of how that could be perceived and also the tone in terms of how you approach people. If the first meeting was a formal one, I tend to try and source things out a little bit and also to make sure that the next meeting is not just one-on-one, -on -one, but it's also with other people and other partners. And that's something that is practical and also in terms of business development, very useful because you do need to rope other people into a relationship as well with a particular client. So it works on both levels as well. So you do need to be a bit cautious. And my suggestion to people who are trying to figure out what to do next in terms of how to build that relationship, try and source out how they feel about certain things. You could have the highest ranking person in a company, but he would be someone who just, he just likes to sit down in a little shack somewhere and just have you know, a coconut drink or like a little cocktail in the evening. And that could work. And that, that would actually work better than bringing him to a, you know, a five-star Michelin star restaurant or something like that. You know? So you kind of have to test the waters a little bit and you can do that by being a little bit subtle in your discussion. And why I say small talk earlier was quite important. That's where you get those little nuggets of information as well. That's really good. What disciplines have you adopted in your work week or the day that keeps you on track with your service delivery with your customers? So do you have a call cycle that you go through or a number of times you have to visit or call someone or do a video call? Do you have a structured way that you approach that business development side of things with your customers? It kind of is a bit bespoke, depending, like, for example, with yourselves and all, you know, we have a bit more of a structured approach. You now we have a quarterly call. And with a lot of the members in Abacus, you know, we set up quarterly calls and we do regular sort of check-ins. For some, they don't necessarily want that. It's not something that is a requirement for them. So as and when there's something that pops up and, you know, so I just have a sort of look at in terms of members who have not engaged with this month, who have not really been in touch with. And then find things that relate to them as well. I have a friend of mine who is, uh, he used to be with Baker McKenzie in Thailand and, you know, he does business development with them and all this. He used to say like business development is sort of like being on Tinder. 
you can't just go up and say to someone, hey, how are you? Find something to talk about. So for some members, it's about engaging them on specific things. So for example, say if we have a member in a particular country, I would look up things that are going on in that country and then reach out to them on those kind of areas because they wouldn't want a regular call. For some, they would want to. So you kind of have to tailor your approach for each particular client that particular way. In terms of how I manage what I do for business development, I do have a plan for each particular member that I deal with. You have a plan for each particular client. It's not always the same. That's really good. Can you talk a little bit more about that? So for a particular member firm, I know, okay, this is what we're trying to achieve for this year. This is what we want to grow together in terms of like development. These are the potential initiatives that we want to do. And these are the things that based on our previous discussions, the feedback that I've received that we can actually work together on. So based on that, I come up with a sort of structure or plan for the rest of the year in terms of, okay, these are the things I'm going to do. I'm going to have a call every month. I'm going to find one article relating in terms of their development. I'm going to find one submission or award that we can actually submit on behalf of them. We're going to find one particular marketing we can actually do. So for example, we have a member in India who has expertise in a specific area, which is quite rare actually for the Indian market. The focus this year is, right, let's get him to do a talk to the rest of our members. This is something that's rare. And there's a lot of investment, foreign investment into India. So it's about setting individual targets for each particular member or client, as it may be for the listeners, and understanding how we can actually achieve that. And the key things for me is always set an achievable target. Don't say like, okay, look, I'm going to do 500 things for this particular client. It's never going to happen. Everyone is busy. Everyone has their own schedules. You have to understand that as well and appreciate that. So set an achievable target, something that one or two key things that you think this year we can actually work together that's going to bring actual tangible results. Whether it's working together in a joint marketing initiative, whether it's a publication, whether it's even something as simple as connecting them to a local trade association or something, a connection that you have. It's something tangible that they can actually say, okay, yeah, you know, this year I derived this benefit from my relationship with this person. Are you saying those things outside of the normal B2B work that you would do with them, you're actually taking the next step and actually adding value over and above whatever service you're providing as a business to that client. Yeah, I mean, you have your day-to-day sort of administrative stuff and, you know, the sort of requests or queries that come in and all this stuff. But if you're going to limit yourself to that, they're never going to see the benefit to it. They're just going to think, okay, this is someone who's just handling sort of whenever I have a question, they're just handling that. What actually builds that relationship with the account that you're managing is when you go that little step beyond and give them that added value. That little bit that says, hey, look, I was sitting all night thinking about things and I thought about this. What do you think about this idea? And the idea may not even work, but just the fact that you've actually thought about it, you've given them some consideration, that forges that relationship and that's where you actually develop that account. I think that's great, great advice. I think you can apply that to so many different industries as a BDM, whether you work for professional services or selling widgets or whatever that is. That's really great advice. I want to talk about gifting. I read a, actually, it was a podcast I'd listened to and they talk about gifting. And they said, sometimes gifting can be quite a powerful tool in winning new work and getting sort of engagement. So part of BDM is obviously looking after your clients, the ones that you have and fostering that relationship. But the other part of business development management is growing and getting new business. And the technique I had learned and read was gifting 
something to a new business that you're trying to engage with. It might be you send them a box and it might be a knife, but it's the best Japanese steel knife. It's really expensive. It might be like a $300 knife, but it's one. It's engraved with their name or the company logo, but it creates this engagement and all of a sudden a dialogue or a reason to call or whatever it is. What do you think of gifting in your client base, the ones that you have? And do you think there's room in way of gifting value of some sort to win new business? In terms of gifting, it kind of depends on jurisdiction as well. So for example, in Malaysia, there are very strict regulations in terms of providing gifts to corporate entities. So there's a little bit of a balance there to manage. I think in terms of gifting, it's something that has to be done in a slightly subtle way. It cannot be too on the nose. You can't like after the first meeting straight away, like, okay, here is like you said, you know, a set of sushi knives or something <laughs> of that sort. It has to be something that reflects the personal relationship you have with the person that you're dealing with. So once you have built that relationship with a person on a personal level, then yeah, a personal gift, I think is useful. But in terms of attracting new clients, I wouldn't say that gifting is necessarily something that will sway work towards you. It used to be common practice here. Every time there was a religious festival, you know, you send a hamper full of things and you would send cards and gift baskets and all that kind of stuff. It didn't actually get us to work. They would appreciate it if you bumped into them in a public setting or anything of that sort. Yeah, they would be very appreciative and they would thank you for it. It didn't actually get us to work. What actually ended up getting it to work was in terms of our capabilities, in terms of our capacity to actually do the work, in terms of how we pitch to them in terms of how we actually put ourselves out there in the market, our reputation and all this kind of thing. Gifting can be very useful in terms of opening up a conversation, getting them to give you a call saying, hey, thank you for this. And then you go on to discuss further things. But it's not going to be the end game in terms of you actually acquiring new clients. Because at the end of the day, everything in terms of whether it's gifting or whether it's even something as simple as just sending an email to them saying, hey, look, we came up with this article about initial coin offerings in Singapore. And that's something that you were talking about the last time, right? So here's the article. And then if they give you a call and say, oh, yeah, I'm quite interested in this, actually. You know, is there someone I can speak to? All you're doing is opening up channels for communication. And once that channel is open, the rest is up to you to sell your service and what you're able to provide for them and the solutions that you're able to provide for them. Gifting is a good way to open up the communication channels, but it's not the be-all and end-all. And it's not going to necessarily, for me personally, I don't think it's going to get you a client immediately. You can probably redefine gifting and say, gift them by giving them something of value. Many SMEs don't have either a sales team or a business development manager involved in the business. And sometimes it just could be the owner of the business trying to grow it himself. What tips do you have and what advice would you give a business that doesn't have a dedicated BDM or sales team? How would you recommend or give advice to that firm or business to still continue to do all the things to foster a good customer journey, customer experience, that, that development of that business, as well as bringing on new sales? I think one of the things that they need to look at, especially if it's a business that's at a certain stage of its development and growth, do look at options in terms of adopting technology to ease some of the administrative stuff that is required. So, you know, there are various DRM systems, there are various contact management systems that you can actually use. 
that can actually ease that process of understanding who you're going to reach out to, what your publications are going to do. If you have a certain targeted ad, who are you going to actually approach and who are the key people that you need to do that? Because a lot of what discourages businesses from actually looking very carefully into business development is the grunt work. It's the processing of data. It's the churning out numbers and figures and trying to figure out what to do, coming up with graphs and nice infographics and all this kind of stuff. A lot of that can be automated and it doesn't have to come at a premium or at a massive cost. Depending on how your business is, at what level your business is, it can be scaled up as you develop. So do look at options in terms of adopting technology to ease that particular burden. In terms of small businesses that maybe have only a couple of stakeholders that are looking after their clients, Obviously, you have to manage those particular key segments or those key clients. But if you do have junior members in your team, don't be afraid to bring them on board as well. And I've seen a lot of firms who say, okay, the moment you're a senior associate or junior partner, then we'll bring you along for meetings. That's too late. Bring them along from the start. Get them integrated in the process of meeting people, discussing things, coming up with ideas, Make them comfortable with the whole process of speaking in front of people and all this. The most successful firms and from the firms that I've worked with in the past as well, from the moment you are a first-year associate, you're brought in front of the rest of the firm to give a presentation about a particular topic. They just force you to, you are out there, go and speak. Learn how to develop that particular part of those soft skills that you know, are required in terms of developing and this kind of stuff. So you may be a small operation and... The clients may recognize you or identify the business with you, but it's up to you to then bring in other people within your organization so they develop that relationship as well. One of the most important things in terms of sort of account management as well as business development that I feel a lot of businesses overlook is the fact that you need to develop as many contact points as possible within a particular organization. Because if you're going to have a BD professional in your firm, who is the sole BD professional looking after a client. If that person leaves, you're left in a lurch. So develop as many relationships as you can. And the only way you're going to do that is encourage your junior members of your team, your other staff members within your organization to also get involved in building that relationship. And you may be surprised. You will find individuals who are naturally good at doing those kind of things. And you're building capacity within your own organization and you're fortifying the relationship that you have with that client as well. So it's a win-win. Great advice. Do you have any other advice around training and how you might look at training some of those junior people so that they aren't the ones that do business development or even talk to a client five, six years into their journey of whatever they do in their day-to-day? Have you been involved in training that you found really useful? I always believe in taking a very gradual approach to development, whether it be with clients or even personal development as well. First, guide them in terms of how they're going to profile themselves as an individual. So, for example, something as simple as their LinkedIn profile. How is your LinkedIn profile? Because if I'm bringing you along to meet a client, after the meeting, the client is probably going to check, you know, Google you online and they're going to see a profile on LinkedIn where you don't have a profile picture, there's no description, you're not even listed under the company and stuff like that. So it's slowly about developing that personal brand. The best people who market to a client are those who have the strongest personal brand. For example, say in Malaysia, if I mention a certain partner's name at a major law firm, immediately they know not just who he is, how he looks, how he talks, how he behaves, but what is his speciality, 
what is his core strengths, what transactions he's been involved in. And that's all part of your personal brand, but you have to learn to start to do that from inception as well. So one of the things I would suggest for firms that are looking to develop younger members of their teams into people who are BD-minded or profiling-minded as well is first start with the basics. How do you profile yourself online? Digital footprints are a major part of how we work today. So do up your LinkedIn design, have someone teach them in terms of, okay, how do you actually write your LinkedIn bio? Do you just say, I am this, I am that, or do you take a different tone and all that kind of stuff? And once they see the benefits of having a proper online or digital profile, then you can start to bring them along for meetings. And they don't have to necessarily contribute immediately in terms of the meetings and stuff like that, but just to learn and observe and how that process goes. There are a lot of experts out there in the marketplace across Asia-Pacific who are experts in terms of communication techniques, in terms of how you can approach people. At the end of the day, approaching people for business and business development is all about communication and relationships that you forge. And it's the same whether it's in business or in your personal capacity as well. So those are soft skills that you can actually train them to do. And the more they're involved with it, the more they're familiar with the whole process, the more they're comfortable and their own personality starts to shine. And I think that's when actually the relationships start to form. So in terms of training, I would say take it at a gradual stage, learn how to profile yourself first, and then learn how to be comfortable around people and let your personality shine instead of being guarded or protected in terms of how you want to portray yourselves. Amazing. You need to write a book, Ravine. It's your, you've been coming up with some amazing, amazing nuggets of value there. But unfortunately, we've run out of time in terms of this episode. We might need to get you back and we could talk forever. But before I go, I'm fortunately going to be meeting you in November in person. So I'm really looking forward to that. What can Abacus members look to see coming up in the next 12 months? And what does Abacus and Ravine have in store for the future? We rely on three main sort of core principles, sort of guiding principles that we kind of look at. The first is, of course, business referrals. What we want to do is create a platform and a place where there's an active amount of interaction when it comes to business referrals. And part of the reason why we have this combination of accounting and legal firms is because we believe that that is a confluence of disciplines that actually generates business that there is a potential there for there to be a lot of cross-referrals and all that kind of stuff. So that's one of the things that we're looking at in terms of encouraging for the next 12 months, as well as beyond that. We're looking to expand into new markets, new jurisdictions, particularly in Asia-Pacific as well, and particularly for the legal sector as well. So we're looking for more legal firms to join dynamic legal firms, legal firms on the upward trajectory to join our network as well. In terms of the other pillars that we're looking at, knowledge sharing is something that we've paid a lot of attention to. We have regular meetups. You've been part of some of our regional calls as well, where we sort of talk about key issues affecting all the firms across that particular region as well as beyond that. Come up with ideas, come up with suggestions in terms of how we can actually solve these issues or work together to actually come up with a tangible way to move forward. And the third one, of course, is practice management tools. We've got external speakers who are coming in. We have various programs such as training programs specific for women leaders in firms. We have training programs specific for young executives who have joined firms as well to help develop their profile, their capacity. And that's something that we're looking at in terms of bringing additional value to our member base. And all of those initiatives are with the overarching objective of increasing interaction between our members. And what we want to do is make sure 
that our members are familiar with each other. For example, Sevan, if you have a client who needs support, whether it be accounting or legal in Mauritius, you know you have a member that, yeah. that can assist you. And you have that personal relationship with that member because you've met him, you've discussed things with him, you've shared ideas, you've shared thoughts, you've worked together on solutions. So you know you can trust that person. And that's what we're trying to achieve here in Abacus. And that's why we take an approach where we approach progressive firms that we know fit our existing member base, our profile of our members as well, and firms that we know can contribute in a tangible way towards the firm. So I think it's been a, you know, this is our 10th year anniversary. It's quite an exciting time. I'm very excited, first of all, to just get out of the country and <laughs> go somewhere new. <laughs> I'm really excited to meet everyone as well. It'll be the first time since the pandemic that we all have a chance to get out and you know, meet everyone. And these meetings as well, I know it's a great chance for Abacus members to connect with each other. It's a great chance for us to identify potential collaborations, new business lines, new things that we can work together on. I want to thank you for coming on the show today. It's been an enlightening chat. I'm sure all of our clients and listeners are going to get so much out of it, Ravine. And I look forward to seeing you at the AGM in Florida. I can't wait to see you. Well, thanks so much, Savan. Yeah, it's great fun coming on the show. Awesome. Thank you. This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. This podcast was produced by accountancy firm Alexander Spencer. At Alexander Spencer, we've been helping business owners realise their goals since 1952, and we play a pivotal role in developing, implementing, and supervising the business goals and strategies of our clients. To find out how we can help your business succeed, head to our website, alexanderspencer.com.au. To make sure you don't miss an episode of The Bottom Line, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Savan Tuna, and we'll be back next episode with more tips to help you transform your business. And that's The Bottom Line.